Hi everyone, it's time for episode 41. Today I've got a topic I love to discuss because it's linked to personalization and the customer experience. Today's guest is Ollie Bridge. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Bonjoro, and we're going to be talking about how to surprise and delight your customers. Now, this can be seen as a bit of a fluffy, nice to have, but does it really do anything for the business kind of area? But actually, if you do it right, it's got such an amazing impact. You need to do something unexpected. Uh, it doesn't really have to offer any real value to the customer in terms of like a, a discount or a product. It can literally just be a handwritten thank you note. But before I give away too much, let's get Ollie on for a chat. Hi, Ollie. Thanks for joining me. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background and, and why you do what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Bonjoro. And uh, Bonjoro, if anybody that hasn't heard of it, is a, a personal video tool that basically we, we hook into your CRM or any other tools that you use to notify you to record personal videos for your customers at the perfect moment so you can get uh, engagement with them. Um, I've been in the SaaS world for about 12 years now. Like I started off actually at a company called Gorkana, who um, in my time there, we sold to a bigger group in the US called Cision for about 25 million. And that was sort of my first, I guess, exposure to how to build, actually how to build like a really good SaaS company. They were like the guys that founded that and led it and sold it, just did a really good job of figuring out who their ideal customer was um, and really sort of gearing all of the systems towards them. So it was really cool. Um, way of me sort of seeing how to run a business well. Um, since then, I've done a bunch of other things. I've run a cold press juice business in London, which was doing pretty good, but I I really didn't enjoy the actual day to day of uh, juicing vegetables uh, yeah. and sort of and bombing around London delivering them. Uh, so back in 2016, actually the guy that was mentoring me, um, it was an old friend, was mentoring me when I was running that business. Uh, Matt Barnett, he had founded a, another business. And, and said, hey, Ollie, do you want to come on board and do the marketing for it? And, and that's why I'm here right now, uh, doing the marketing for Bonjuro. I've been here since 2017. Um, and I guess I do it, like the reason I do marketing and why I like doing SaaS marketing in particular is that I love sort of introducing ideas into the world and, and sort of seeing them grow, like planting an idea, putting it out there and just sort of seeing what happens, seeing if people latch onto it, seeing if it, it hooks and seeing where that can go. I find it really exciting that it's quite an organic thing. You can't really predict what's going to happen with the ideas you put out there. So that's what I do, what I do. Yeah, it's really good seeing the reactions that happen. Sometimes, whether whether it's good or bad, it's still kind of, obviously you don't want it to be bad, but it's still kind of interesting to to see that reaction and then try and work out why people have responded that way, um, particularly if you felt that you know, people would respond well. Cool. Let's, um, let's talk about a bit, bit about... Um, Yes, a, a bit about personalization, but more about kind of delighting the customer um, and what brands can do there and why it's important to focus on this kind of like one-to-one um, yeah. or, or almost one-to-one. Well, like for me, it's a delight. Like we call it customer delight here. I think it's a really important topic. And I think it's a, an interesting one because like we were talking about this off, off, off the recording, but um, it, it's seen as probably a little bit fluffy by some people, but I think it's actually can be really important. I think there are three places where I think it impacts quite um, interestingly. Like one in particular for any sort of early stage companies is Customer Delight is an amazing engine for early traction, I think. Um, and the second piece is customer lifetime value is, I think, significantly impacted if you have a good system around personalizing like experiences that can delight your customer on a very sort of one-to-one level. Um, and also, I think alongside that, 
is just this whole, you know, word of mouth is the number one sort of marketing metric. I think anybody should all go after. I don't think there's a better sort of marketing channel you can uh, leverage than word of mouth. Uh, and customer delight definitely is a really, really great engine for that. So I think it's, you know, th for me, sort of three things I think are quite key. Um, so it's it's one to have a system for from quite early on, I think. But I know that a lot of companies, a lot of startups, a lot of um, people overlook it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can probably count the number of businesses that have kind of sent me something or just done something a bit a bit different and a bit, you know, some maybe sometimes something that doesn't scale. Um, probably count them on one hand. Um, it just doesn't happen often. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's so infrequent. I I kind of remember it happening once. I got something through the mail. I, I signed up to it. It was either a SaaS tool or some sort of um, business related website, and I got through a note like a hat. Well, at least it looked like a handwritten note. Uh, a, a few days later, I think so. It was fairly quick. I couldn't actually tell you what business that was now, um, but it definitely. But I know that it had a big impact on me at the time. Um, it, it is just because I, I probably haven't actually engaged with that business for for years now. Um, but yeah, it, it just so rarely happens. Um, yeah. You know, I think as as I was saying, yeah, just before we started recording, actually, I've I've done it at at one of the B two C businesses I was at. Um, we sent out a handwritten note to people. Um, we we actually tested it. We tested it before they'd made their payment. So while they were in their trial period with their subscription, um, and it had almost no impact on the numbers at all. But then when we sent this handwritten note out after they'd made their first payment, it had a huge impact, not only on retention and lifetime value of the people, but actually in the amount they engaged with the app, which I find really weird. Like I get. I get that if you're delighted by a company, you're going to feel more favorably towards them. You might uh, might come back to buy from them more frequently or or a bit sooner than you would normally expect. But it, it just really surprised me that um, these people started reading more magazines in the app than they had before. Yeah, it's really interesting we were talking about this. I think the, it's funny because I'll talk about this in a bit, but I think there's almost a split between like whose job is customer delight and it's interesting because actually i think when you create a system for it uh it shouldn't necessarily be the job of like customer success for example because customer success really their their whole thing is geared around like activation like new customer engagement and activation um and and my and i'll i'll say this sort of during the podcast i'll put a case for the fact that i think you should actually have someone dedicated to customer delight like here at bonjuri we have a chief delight officer uh, called Amy and it's her job and she has KPIs around delight and a very like refined system for it but it's interesting actually that even if that's the case like in our company when you do those delightful things it actually can impact on activation metrics as well so I don't think that should be delight's um, job necessarily or, or KPI because that's really more product to customer success I think um, but you definitely can impact so it's really interesting to see when you when you get that sort of carryover from one side um, into the other. So yeah, it's really it's really cool to hear that. And I think there are two, but I was on a podcast a few weeks ago um, and the guy I was chatting to was in the e-commerce space and he was saying that a company, I can't remember the company now, but had done something delightful for him. What, what was it? It was around a bag he had bought, a backpack he bought when he was little. I can't remember the story now, but 
it was about 25 years ago um, and he still remembers it. So there's definitely like the short-term activation impact, but also then that sort of enduring memory element of it as well, which I think is, is obviously the brand impact as well. Yeah, definitely. And there are, there are other things you can do. I know um, like Gusto, you know, the, the meal, um, like the meal kits. Yeah. Um, they, in one of the boxes, I can't remember if it was the first one, or, or just one of the earlier ones, um, they sent me a, like a wooden spoon, like a wooden like kitchen spoon. Um, and I'll always kind of remember that. And it's, it, it is a slightly nicer one. Um, so it's the one I go to by default in the kitchen now. But but I'm yeah, that, that'll stick with me for a while. And that was just, it was almost like just a freebie in the, uh, yeah. in, in, in the box with it. And, they, I was just say, I, I love that you have a default wooden spoon. I think I have that as well. Everyone has their favourite wooden spoon, don't they? The favourite wooden spoon. It's just the, the what it is just slightly different. It's like a nicer wood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, so they sent me a one of those ring binders for the recipe books, and so is HelloFresh, and that's just not had the same impact. Like, like I, yeah. I just I care about that a bit less because it's. I don't know, it just doesn't feel that important. But the spoon, because it's something yeah. I use so frequently, yeah, that's that's really worked. Um, that's interesting. Them, I think it's interesting. You know, there are. I think this is the key. You've got to test these things as well, because that feedback is going to be like crucial to a company like that. And anybody listening that's going to do delight stuff, definitely do sort of multiple types of the same thing because you might get the feedback from customers where i'll give you an example so one of our things is that when we launched bonjuro we were we have a, a bear that's our logo and um we were always seen in bear suits so well bear onesies and they were all custom made for us so if we, you went to an event you'd know who we are because we'd be wearing bear onesies and something we started doing is is uh surprising customers by sending them their own bear onesie if they'd sent, like early on, it was if they'd sent 500 videos of Bonjour, because this was trying to get our early adopters sort of bought in. And then later on, it went up to, I think, maybe a 1,000. The sort of costs started racking up. But actually something, we pivoted that idea slightly. And instead of sending it to our customers, we said, "What you know, do you have a, a son or a daughter? What size would they want? And we'd send them for their kids. Um, and that completely changed it. That actually was a much bigger impact. And even though this is like a... You know, it's not related to our product, it's, but it is related to our brand. And it's it's strange that we did that sort of A-B testing, you know, sending it in the customer size versus sending it in a kid's size. And it had a much bigger impact because I think the usage of that thing, a bit like you're saying with your wooden spoon, is going to be much greater. So it's going to be sort of in front of that customer more often. Whereas like an adult, you know, you're not going to find that much opportunity. Although we're in lockdown now, we're probably yeah. wearing onesies at the moment, but you're not going to find that much opportunity to wear a onesie yourself, but your kids will. Yeah, and if you and if your kid loves it, you're going to hear about that. Like, yeah. you're going to hear about that a lot. And yeah, like who got us this? And they'd be like, "Oh, it's a company called Bonjour," and they'd be like, "What? Why is a why is a company sending you onesies?" And okay, it's just they're trying to be a fun brand, etc. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, do you think there are any misconceptions though about focusing on this delighting the customer? Yes, I think there are two like two main ones. The first one, and actually it came from a post I saw a couple of years ago on LinkedIn where um, someone in customer success, quite well-known name, was basically saying, uh, delighting customers is not my job. They were having a bit of a rant saying, like, if anybody asked me to delight customers again, 
I'm going to tell them where to go. Um, and I, in some ways, actually, I sort of agree. So what I, I that really sort of spiked something interesting in my own journey with Customer Delight, because at the time we had Customer Delight was sitting with our customer success team. And I thought about it. I chatted to the team. I said, actually, it's just sort of quite stressful that you've got sort of two things you're doing here. Basically, one, you've got onboarding, which is like your core thing and activation. And then we're also asking you to delight customers and they're getting mixed up. So we separated them out. We said, okay, customer success, this is your job. Customer delight, who, Amy, this is going to be your role. You've got to figure out where you can do it and and try not to get them entangled. Because I think if you uh, leave customer delight to customer success, it gets really tangled up in the other stuff they're doing, which is about activation. Um, so like, you know, as an example, customer success probably want to get a, uh, a lead doing like three specific things that all the best leads do to activate and engage with a product. Whereas customer delight, that's not what their objective is. Their objective is to surprise that person during the journey with something that makes them think, oh, wow, I'm going to recommend this company to someone else. Or, you know, oh, wow, I was sort of having a middling experience with the product and customer success couldn't really like get me beyond that. But actually this delightful, surprising thing that someone else has done has made me think, actually, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to see if I can engage with this product because they seem like a cool company and they're doing something slightly different. So yeah, the first one is like, it's not CS's job. And I sort of probably agree with that. So maybe it's not a misconception, but it's one that needs addressing. Um, Is it, in in a way, could could it kind of be like, if you tried to get the same person to do PPC and Facebook ads, because they're both performance marketing channels that are, but but actually there are actually quite different skill sets. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I think, yeah, so if I'm thinking about, it's funny because I do both here, but okay. if, I, if I'm thinking about, yeah, so if I'm thinking about like say search, yeah, absolutely. On Google, like, I really need to be someone that's got a good skill set around sort of keyword driven things. Um, whereas actually the the other side of it is more sort of creating, I guess like Facebook ads are very much more sort of content driven, understanding the algorithm. Yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty good point. Otherwise, you're getting that person to continually context switch, um, which gets very difficult. And I think that's a key thing in general. Context switching, I think, in jobs is a tough one. Every early stage company finds that difficult, I think. So the more you can do to avoid it, the better. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do think um, one of the mistakes uh, we made with our, our company, Sport Draft, a few years ago, um, we... we both of us kind of did a little bit of everything. And part of that was because I was here in the UK and my my business partner was in the US. So for things like investment, I would go after the the UK and a a bit of the EU kind of uh, investors and he would focus more on the US. But it meant that because I I really like product as well. So, and he, he was the technical one. So we'd both kind of be feeding into the product I'd be doing marketing um, and then we'd both be doing a bit of investment, him a bit more of the detail and in-depth stuff and me more the um, kind of out- outreach here. And it just meant that, yeah, I, w- I wasn't focused and I was try- I was doing too many different things that required very different mindsets. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I think it's all, I, I think it's just unavoidable right i think it's going to happen in any, any business but there are those opportunities that come along as you start growing where you almost don't want to miss them if a chance comes to say to one person in your team okay 
you've really got license to focus on this now, I think you need to grab those opportunities when they come. Um, so, yeah, but, it's, but it is tricky if you're yeah. still a very small team. Uh, did, you said there were there was a second misconception. Yeah, second one I think uh, is that it's fluffy. So I think people I think people doing it like again if you've got like customer success or someone else sort of doing the delight thing. Sometimes it can be a little bit like they, and I guess this is why the the person posted this on LinkedIn. They feel almost like an affront. Like this isn't my job. It's too fluffy. Like I'm a sort of serious um, marketer or a serious customer success manager, but. I think the key is to, to remember that the impact you're having is to do, I guess, a couple of things. So one is like, you're not going to make someone like a bad product. So if your product's like really bad, you're not going to suddenly change that person's mind. So I don't think that's one thing you do, but you can make, I guess you can take an average customer to a good customer. Um, even if they're having, you know, if they're having an average experience of your product, I think they can become a good customer and you can get more activation. And you mentioned that earlier for your previous business that that definitely happened. Um, and I think you can take a good customer and turn them into a super fan. And any business that's sort of saying, oh, customer delight's fluffy and they don't, you know, I'm so, I'd say to them, you, if you don't want super fans, you're really going to find it hard to grow, particularly in the early stages, like super fans are, the, you know, I guess, or advocates are the most important thing to any business and word of mouth, I guess, comes from that as well. Um, and we have a number, you know, we, we track them and count how many we have here at Bonjour and we try and do more and more delightful things for them because you don't want, it's almost like a sort of long tail keyword. You don't want like your delighted advocate to suddenly trail off like a long tail keyword, like you want them to keep powering for you um, because they're going to be really, really important. Um, you know, we still have customers that came in the door here sort of three, four years ago that we pay a lot of attention to and every opportunity we get to delight and engage and bring them into the business, we do because they just keep going out there and bringing us customers. And they don't just bring us signups, they bring you paid customers. It's like they physically bring people in the door and go, this product is a must use. And they'll almost like go and tell the, set the other person up and say, look, put your card in, get paying with this thing, get using it. Um, I think that's the key thing. You get a very different uh, level of referral from super fans than you do from sort of anybody else out there referring or advocating for your business. Yeah, having looked at some loyalty schemes and referral schemes, you, you can see that the, the people who are more engaged and happier re refer so many more people. Um, and then obviously, depending on the industry, <laughs> some people abuse it and just check their referral code on the yeah on on like affiliate websites and things. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I I see it as yeah, just almost like another marketing channel, really, or yeah, opportunity. You know, to, obviously, you've got to work out where it sits, but you know, just as part of like onboarding customers and engaging them and, and retaining them, it's it's just it's an, another tactic that can be used to to turn people into into good customers. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point to think of it as a marketing channel. Because then it, I guess it gets the attention it deserves. And then like if you make it a marketing channel, then you can put like KPIs around it. And actually you can put like really non-fluffy KPIs attached to it. Because your customer delight person could be driving some really, really key stuff for your business. It could be like they could be getting you podcast opportunities or uh, webinar opportunities, testimonials, um, you know, it might be driving like social posts from people that are happy with your business. So definite like tangibles that they're driving that you can be tracking which I think is interesting. And and it's not hard stuff to do, you know, the delighting customers. It could be, you, know, you mentioned, I think you got like a thank you letter 
um, that really stood out. You can do thank you videos. You can use something like Bonjour to do a thank you video. Um, you know, sending bear suits, like whatever the, whatever it might be, there are always like really great tangible sort of KPIs you can put around it, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was just thinking actually, uh, there's a, a, a SaaS tool that um, I actually had had him on the, on the podcast um, a, a couple of months ago, I think. Um, and he, and we kind of, you know, engage with each other on, on LinkedIn a bit. Um, we, we've had a few chats. And then the other day he said to me, um, oh, by the way, here's, here's a code. Like you can order yourself a, a free hoodie off our website. They're not, you know, not clothing brand. It's literally just, you know, swag, although I hate that word. Um, so now I've got a free hoodie. Um, and because we've had those good chats and also because I had such a negative experience with one of their competitors uh, a few years ago, I, I've now recommended them to, I think, three or four people this week just this week alone. And like, I, I'm not even a customer, but, but because he, they've kind of, they've just treated me well. They've delighted me. I guess they've almost like delighted me as a partner. So they know that if, if they can kind of get me on board as a partner, I'll, I'll refer people and send them their way. Yeah. And it's got, it's interesting. Cause I wonder whether like at that person's business, it sounds like they've almost got license to do that. Like there's no sort of worry or anx- like anxiety around, Oh, can I, give will this code to get a hoodie it's like that's got to be i guess it's got to come top down or just uh, if you're a small company it's got to be sort of you know amongst sort of founders or whatever like that yeah the license to say okay you know if you want to do delightful stuff do it um and you've got the budget to do that and i think that comes back to the system like we're actually toying with an idea here at the moment we're thinking about whether we do this sort of delight pods where we uh, assign a specific number of customers set customers to like each person on the team. So like we get the entire team organized and involved in this and we give each team member a specific budget, maybe like $500 a month or something. And they've got to keep their delight pod customers delighted. It sort of goes against our, like someone having it as their job role, but we're sort of toying whether we do it as like a sort of campaign over sort of two or three months just to see what the results are. Um, because I think I think having license to do these things is actually also an important part of it. And it sounds like your contact had that license. Yeah, and I think it it just helps people get a bit more involved in in the customer as well. So if you got if you include like developers, for example, they never well yeah I'm pretty sure developers have pretty much no contact with with customers, don't really know what they're doing or who they are. So that could be a good good opportunity to bring the developers in a bit, get them understanding the customers a bit more. And then that, you know, even if you it turns out that the, the light pod sort of idea doesn't really work, it might still have a benefit for them going back into the, the development team, um, kind of understanding the customers better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think rather than, I, I guess, a lot of companies will do that thing where I've heard it, a lot of software business where they say, okay, developers are going to go on customer support for a week or something. And it's like, that's, I guess it's all well and good. And a lot of learnings can come from that, but actually a nicer way to give developers that, uh, I guess that feedback loop and that really good positive feedback loop from customers where they're learning at the same time would be something like this sort of delight pod idea. And I do, I think it's important that that would sort of carry with them as well, because what can happen internally at businesses when you come a bit dis- disconnected from your customers 
is you lose a bit of that spark, right? Like, you know, you might have been doing it for two or three years and the more you get disconnected from your customers, particularly if you're not customer facing, you just lose a bit of that spark. So I think something like this, like we're going to try it anyway. And I think we'll probably do it for probably three months and see whether it's worth pursuing. But at least, like you say, it gives people that aren't customer facing that opportunity to sort of get involved and get that fire going again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd be uh, really good to hear how that goes, actually. When you're, Absolutely, when you're yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose one possible misconception I want to bring up is is scaling. Um, so I guess, you know, for SaaS businesses, it's a bit easier, especially and definitely enterprise level. But the businesses that rely on volume, um, whether B2B or B2C, how, how can people scale uh, delighting the customer or does it scale? Yeah, I think, well, it's funny, like our own tool is really, you know, we're trying to solve that, the whole personal video thing, like we see personal video as not necessarily a conversion tool, we put, we see it as a, as a delight tool. Um, and we're building our entire product around people being able to send personal videos to customers at the right moment to keep them engaged and keep them delighted. Um, so that's from our personal point of view. In terms of scalability, I think it's really about segmentation. And I think a lot of like, whenever I get into conversations around things around marketing, it always comes back to segmentation because yes, there are going to be certain things that you can't scale. Um, you, know, you can't do for everyone, I mean, but you can always scale it for the people that it might matter for. So if I think about an e-commerce business who might have thousands and thousands of transactions happening every day, maybe you can't do it for every single transaction. Um, but if you segment properly and say, okay, what's happened here? Is this a repeat customer or uh, maybe the uh, fifth return purchase or something? Then maybe that's an opportunity where you should be using a delight tactic. Um, or if someone, again, like e-commerce, imagine someone comes to your your live chat or your your support and you have a conversation with, say, someone on like Nike's live chat. Let's think of like huge scale, right? So Nike, um, you know, what would happen if that customer came away from that chat and after that they got a video, maybe a personal video from the person that had run that chat with them saying, uh, I just wanted to wrap up our conversation. I've got that all sorted for you. We processed your refund. It'll hit your bank account in three days, whatever it might be. That would be an experience so far beyond what they would expect um, that I think it's worth looking at that. So I do think it comes back to segmentation and looking at what channels you think it will have the biggest effect on. Um, and that will differ depending on whether your software or e-commerce. Like I think there's a, personally, I'm looking at the e-commerce world and thinking there's an enormous opportunity here because they sort of do delight on a very uh, one-to-many level. Um, and I do think there are lots of tools that will help e-commerce do delight on a one-to-one level that aren't being taken advantage of and i think they should start doing it um so yeah yeah so you, you raise a good point there but with the, that example um you can use delighting to kind of raise people to the next level like vip or whatever um there's also a really good opportunity to to reduce churn you know if, if you if you have a bad experience with a business but they you know, if they just sort your problem, you go away from that thinking, all right, cool, they sorted it, but I had a problem in the first place. But if you then got that video from someone saying, like, really sorry about that, um, just to confirm, like, that's all done for you, you'll have your refund in 24 hours or whatever, um, 
drop me an email back if you if you've got any other questions or whatever you know that could turn a bad experience into someone going the next time they want to buy some trainers or something they just go back straight back to nike yeah absolutely i imagine if you have a fault with i think I, it was this sort of comes from me i was on a I bought a pair of night trainers a few weeks ago and they had a slight fault and they're really expensive as well. Uh, the running trainers, I won't say which ones because I spent far too much money, but they had a fault and I got on the live chat with them and it just made me think like what would happen here, like you're saying, if they turned that bad experience into an incredibly good one. So when I return them, somehow there they've got like a, you know, someone that's operating returns saying we've received them and maybe when they send the other ones back out, they don't just send the same pair of trainers, they send a pair of trainers plus something else is you know a delight piece that goes alongside that so yeah i do I, it's a really good point turning a sort of bad experience into a good one could be can be really easily done uh, using it at the right place yeah um so if, if businesses wanted to get started with this what what are some of the key things they need to be considering before they just like dive into it and start sending gifts to everyone um so I guess we've touched on them a little bit. So I think it's like job function. So think about whose job function this is going to be and give it a title um, and and think about how you're going to scale that. So imagine if you're like, let's say, imagine if you're a big business right now and you have a customer support team, um, you know, maybe make someone like a you know, chief delight officer and the chief delight officer then has, I guess, more people reporting into them where it's their role to do sort of the delight piece rather than customer support piece. Um, perhaps you have your community managers reporting into them as well, because I think community is one that probably could could uh, benefit from a lot of crosstalk with like the customer delight person. Um, and then beyond that, I think the next thing is, is KPIs. So make sure that you can measure the tangible impacts it's having. So you said, you know, in your last business around getting people to, to, to read more as you had an impact on activation. That's that's a tricky one because you wouldn't you usually expect that that crossover and that's harder to measure. But if you can measure it, definitely measure it. KPIs for me, you know, I think like stuff like you know, have they driven like social posts from delighted customers, return purchases, um, word of mouth referrals, joint ventures, uh, podcast opportunities, partnerships, testimonials, reviews, you know, all of these sorts of things I think are things that will come back from having a really good delight engine and they're things that are really easy, easily trackable. Um, and then I think thinking about, so that's the first two job function and KPIs. And the third one I think is to think about your customer journey beyond activation. So don't just look at, you know, lay out your whole customer journey from someone hearing about you and signing up or whatever to becoming a super fan and think about all the points in that journey that could be made delightful. Um, it could be something as simple as, you know, uh, coming onto your website uh, maybe for their second time and your live chat thing has like a really delightful gift that feels much more personal or much more you know, geared towards that customer. I don't know. It could be something like that. So think about, yeah, customer journey beyond activation um, is, is the last one. So your customer success might have their sort of product qualified lead. That's a software term, but a product qualified lead metrics that they're going after. And then your customer delight person really will have other metrics, which is like the super fan metrics. You know, how many, you know, what sort of five things does it take to create a super fan? Let's try and nail those five things along the journey of that customer. Yeah, absolutely. I think KPIs are definitely really important. It, it helped that uh, when I did it at Readly, 
because it was a digital subscription, we could track the engagement. So KPIs were really easy. Um, you know, it was, it was really easy to identify who to send it to because um, that was just you know, a 50-50 split of people who paid. Um, and, and we could easily measure uh, how many magazines they read, how many devices they activated on, um, and, you know, lifetime value and things like that. But I guess with, you know, other, other businesses, it can be a little bit more difficult, especially when, you know, so I've always thought things like like Gusto and HelloFresh, you can obviously, you can tell someone is, I guess, happy or happier because they keep receiving their, their subscription boxes and they don't cancel. But it's difficult to tell what they're doing with it at the time unless they fill in their their profile. So, I, I mean, uh, Naked Wines is one for me, actually. Um, I, I get loads of wine from them, but I'm terrible at actually going in and rating them. And they use that to, to kind of build their algorithm to, to decide what to actually send me. Um, each quarter or whatever. So I guess with, with things like that, yeah, it can be a little bit more difficult. So looking for those other KPIs that could be useful. I can't think of any for naked wines for me personally, because I just, I don't interact with them apart from the wine, <laughs> but they, they have a whole community piece as well. So I imagine they will know that the, the yeah. happiest, their happiest and best people are the ones who also go into the forums, uh, engage with, like they rate their wines and they engage with the wine producer as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine they have, you know, a system and event based sort of tracking system internally to to like tag that stuff up and then you know trigger certain sort of emails and then marketing automation based around visits to the forum or a post in the forum, that sort of stuff. Which yeah, I think that is important on the sort of scalability level. Yeah, I mean the stuff they could do would be amazing actually. Like you know, if I if there's a particular wine producer that I really like and I rate their wines really highly and I'm constantly engaging in their forum, then you know they could they could try and do something around that. You know, wh- whether it's get the producer to try to send me a video, or uh, yeah, I don't know, something like that. You know, yeah. the, the, the data they, they can link up the data um, and, and yeah. find some ways that that be uh, that'd be pretty cool. That's a, no, it's, it's interesting you say that because I was just thinking, you know, I I wonder who sort of heads up their delight piece. And it I sort of suspect that a lot of companies like Naked Wine that actually it's um I guess it's sort of like more sort of like marketing driven versus customer delight driven and and probably community driven as well. I'd imagine they have sort of like the marketing piece, the community piece, and the community piece probably speaks a bit to marketing but i i doubt they'd have the very the highly personalized like trying to engineer the experience like you're talking about there which is like getting a video from the producer or getting sent something from that producer that's specific and personal to you i'd love to see what would happen if they did do that because um, it could be amazing yeah i think that'd be that'd be really good i i, I mean to be honest i don't think many companies do do this delight piece um especially in b2c like yeah kind of mass b2c it, it just doesn't happen. Lots of companies will send something extra. Like I, I used to order from muscle food a lot um, just because they do really good value, like meat hampers. Um, and quite often you get just a couple of extra little bits in there. But also as a marketer, I'm also aware of what that probably is. And I think a lot of them were samples, um, like kind of almost like affiliate samples. So a company would say, here's, like 10,000 sample size of these products, just give them out 
um, and then they're hoping they'll see an uplift from that. Yeah. But you know, it, it's nice receiving those, but it's just it's not that special. Like, well, I think it's yeah. I, I guess it gets like I imagine it gets lost in the noise, or it gets lost in the focus on specific metrics that are much more sort of marketing and sales led, right? Um, whereas actually, if those companies that sort of came in and said, "Okay, there are a few things that we'll be able to measure here that show us that we're taking customers from you know a, a sort of three out of ten on the scale to a ten out of ten and becoming an incredible super fan." Like maybe just something as simple as them saying, okay, let's measure super fans and do everything in our power to create super fans. Um, you know, then they might have a bit more of a focus on the delight piece. Um, so, so I think like maybe people talk about, I guess, like North Star metrics in SaaS companies. I think you'd almost have a, a North Star metric. And it's funny, we talk about this a lot internally at Bonjoro, which is there's no real platform out there that gives you a customer delight score. Like there's nothing... To, to hang on to right you almost have to make one that's internal whereas actually i think there's probably an opportunity for there to be a sort of delight score that can be figured out almost for sort of every company based on customer interactions yeah i, I imagine you could probably link quite a lot of tools up to work that out so um you know if you linked up a review platform and your um your kind of just customer data data platform uh, and maybe your emails as well, like your marketing automation or, or like CRM tool, just plugging that data in and you'd be able to see, right, they've they've left a review, um, they open every email, they buy, uh, like you use an RFM score as well. So they really they score really highly on the RFM score. Um, therefore, they must be really happy. Um, and I suppose RFM score probably does give you that to a certain degree. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think others. Uh, what's the other metric that uh, a lot of companies use? Uh, net Promoter Score as well. So you can sort of, but I almost think you're going, you're judging things slightly after the fact, rather than trying to sort of create that score. You know, if someone gives you like a Net Promoter Score of eight out of ten, and then suddenly you're all over that person, um, it'd be nice to to have a, you know a system in place that's really creating those Net Promoters. Um, and I think that's what you know, it delights about, which is to actually have a system that helps you take people to that place. Yeah, definitely. And well, especially for the for the low scorers as well. Once they leave that NPS score of a you know a low NPS score, in a lot of cases the damage is done. And yeah. some companies will maybe call them up and you know I guess try and fix the problem, but it, but it's still kind of damage done. Whereas if you can have those bits in place. Um, and I don't know, yeah, the tool would just make it up a tool here. But um, yeah, if it kind of says, well, based on their interactions over, interactions over the first few days, we think they're going to be a three out of 10 happiness. Here are the, here are the two actions that need to be done for this person now. Yeah. Um, and then if, they, if it thinks it's going to give them a eight out of 10, it says, right, this is the action you need to take with this person to yeah. turn them into a 10. Yeah, yeah, that'd be quite cool. Well, this thing, I think, that's, I think this is where it's heading. Like, you know, I don't know, you know, we're looking at this sort of stuff at the moment internally here as well. Like, we, as we see ourselves long term more as a customer delight platform than a video tool. So, this is the sort of thing that we talk about a lot internally. And you know, could we make something like this? But I'm sure there are others out there looking at making these sorts of things. I think it's going to be key. You know, the whole world is sort of moving towards uh, a bit more of a focus on customer lifetime value. 
uh, and delight versus just acquisition tactics. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. You know, you can see that in the explosion of customer success tools, I think, and customer success as a topic. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting trend to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about this year, but well, all right, a lot, a lot has happened this year. But yeah, there just does seem to be a bit more of a focus on uh, like experience, um, making people happy. And I think consumers want that a bit more as well. Yeah. Um, so what what are some of the bigger or big or most common mistakes you see um, with people approaching this delight? I think I talked about the first one, which I think the biggest one is sort of tangling it up into customer success and activation metrics. So I think the key is you know, separate that out. Um, and then the second one, second big one, I think is not testing. So it's like coming up with this plan. So you'll look at your customer journey and say, all right, there's five places here that we think we've identified where we can delight customers in a way that's going to make a difference. Um, and then just doing five things and sort of sticking with them and not measuring them off against each other. So a bit like I mentioned earlier, you know, testing like bear suits to the customers versus bear suits for the children or sending personal notes. Like we do handwritten notes as well that are all sort of like stenciled when someone sends a specific amount of videos and you know, testing that against um, you know, doing something else. So I think the testing piece is, is, is probably one as well because um, like delight tactics are almost a bit of a, they're an art, I guess, not science. Like you're sort of sticking your finger up in the air a bit and thinking, is this going to be the right sort of thing to do? And like you said, with the, the, the wooden spoon as well, um, you don't really know until you try and see what, comes back i almost don't think like when you're doing the testing i'm not sure you need to be as metrics driven i think some of the anecdotal feedback can be the best because otherwise you'll be waiting forever to look at your metrics you know how many a b test you know, how many sort of events you're going to need how many delight things you're going to have to do to get good data back to really see it on a metric level but anecdotally you can see it you know if you said if they saw a tweet from you saying oh i use this wooden spoon every day it's my go-to wooden spoon or something they can sort of tell that that's maybe you know something interesting that they should like hang on to um so yeah, there are two things don't get it tangled up with customer success and 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 test um a b test within each of those specific customer journey points yeah definitely i think um i guess it's probably because this thing this this thing doesn't really really sit with marketing which which is where a lot of the testing happens um, probably because a lot of companies do sit it in customer success or customer service um, or just operations or something. And it it's just this thing that people go, all right, we need to um, we need to be sending out like a little extra thing with every subscription package. What should it be? Okay, yeah, let's just put that in every single one because people will like that. And then it just gets done and it just sits there. Um, whereas I think, yeah, maybe a more marketing-led approach to it would lead to more testing. Yeah, and I think that's that's the danger. It's interesting you say that because I think that goes from being delight into just being like an almost more like an automation. And I think that is like when people try and scale these things, they fall into the trap of we have this ethos internally again here at Bonjoro is uh, automate your processes, not your customer relationships. Um so basically the thought there is like, if we're automating anything, think about if it's a process or a relationship. And if we start trying to automate relationship-driven things, we stop and we just all have a bit of a chat and say, okay, let's stop doing that because it's not right. Um, so, you know, the I guess like the adding the extra delightful bit for e-commerce companies is okay, but 
I'd say on a spectrum, it's sort of midway between delight and automation. Um, so you really need to try and crank up and head up the spectrum towards the delight piece and the one-to-one piece um, if you want to have the biggest impact, I think. Yeah, because like if it's that easy, everyone else will be doing it right. And every e-commerce company does do that. So how much are you going to stand out? And the key here is to stand out. You know, if, if competitors, particularly in, say, if you're a software tool and someone's considering three or four different tools and they will do something fairly similar, um, if you do the light piece well, they're probably going to stick with you versus the others. So, Yeah, actually, um, that reminds me of a point you made a bit earlier about... Um, you can kind of have a like an okay to good product and and do better if you delight people and i think that's i think that's true as long as if your product does the job that people need then it can be you know uh a little bit less aesthetically pleasing it can be a little bit more like awkward to use maybe but if people are engaged with your brand and really like your business because you've taken that extra like personal step um, I think you can do better than than brands that just automate everything, but their product is just absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you can. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's. Uh, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, um, I know you kind of mentioned uh, that you, you you see this becoming a bigger thing anyway. But are, are there any kind of big trends you see? come in the way businesses interact with customers or or maybe on a more one-to-one basis um like particularly kind of e-commerce and that sort of business yeah so i think i'd come back to the e-commerce piece because i think they're sort of lagging a little bit at the moment so others have sort of moved into the personalization and one-to-one stuff a bit quicker it's been harder for e-commerce because the tools haven't necessarily been there and the scales that they operate out you know on b2c level are a bit different but we're seeing, like, example here, like we interviewed a customer about six weeks ago um, who has started outsourcing the sending of personal thank you videos for every uh, a specific product product lines um, to all those customers. And that's, you know, it's really interesting that someone's actually taken a step, I think, as an eco. It's one of the first co- companies we've seen do this where it's like we're not going to send all these videos ourselves, but we want to do it. We're going to actually employ people to specifically send these videos and in the video everyone that gets it then gets invited i think into like their loyalty program so like during the video the person can say oh by the way we really want you to be part of our loyalty program click on the button next to this video um, and you can join up to it and the interaction rates like the 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 click-through rate of someone joining the loyalty program versus that happening on an automated marketing email is just completely different Um, so I think like people are looking to try and scale this and there are more tools coming into that space, a bit like the stuff we mentioned earlier. They could like a Nike be doing it with support tickets and follow-ups and those sorts of things. So I think it's happening. I think, yeah, so the, the big trend is almost not, not like a big trend, but I think it's uh, a shift in um, bigger companies thinking that they can almost take this stuff on now. I think they're starting to sort of sniff around and think we could actually do this one-to-one personalization in a in a in a proper way and they're trying to trying to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I definitely think it's it's worth exploring, um, looking into. When when I spoke with Matt um before on the podcast actually, uh he did talk about you can kind of send it's not exactly unique videos one-to-one, but it's uh like it, it's a unique video for that day. 
he basically said. So you'd, you'd record a video on that day, but still send it to everyone who purchased you know, the day before, for example, or, or an, the, the week before. So yeah. you, could, you could kind of follow up on their purchase. So you just make it obvious that it's not an automated thing and that this, this video has been recorded like for them and others, but on that day. Um, yeah, and, and and that can have a big impact. But as soon as as soon as you start trying to automate it completely and and just having one video that's done, yeah, like as soon as someone makes a second purchase, or you know if they make a, a purchase on a different email address or something, and they get that same same message through, that then completely like flips it on you and kind of ruins what you were trying to do in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I think. It sort of got that spectrum that I was trying to visualize earlier almost comes back to that. It's interesting. You're saying, I guess what you're saying there is like it's an in the moment video. It has context in that particular moment. Um, so it's not completely on the one-to-one side of the spectrum, but it's it's sort of there or thereabouts. Um, and it's definitely not on that automated side. And I think you've got to remember, like a key thing I think to remember as well is like we all run businesses and maybe three, four years, five years into your business to you, you've been running that business for a long time and all the interactions from new customers can look quite quite similar. Um, But your customer, this is the first time they've heard about you. So it's not like if you're a three-year-old company, it's not like suddenly this customer comes in and goes, oh yeah, this company has been around for a while, but they they don't have that context. They're coming in thinking, this is a company I've just found out about. So like you have such an like a massive opportunity to make an impact in terms of your business culture with that person because they don't know your culture they don't know what you're about what you do um, so I, I think it's really important to remember that the first person the first time anybody interacts with your brand is the first time they interact with your brand so like make it count uh, I think that's like a key reason why delight can work so well yeah definitely and and actually kind of on those lines I think a big mistake a lot of companies make is they assume that once someone has signed up and created an account or um, or they've made their first purchase, that's it, that's job done. They're happy, they're going to stick with you. And they actually don't have to make that effort. But yeah, you're right. It's, you know, there are so many other options out there. You, you, have to, you have to make more of an effort to keep people and retain them. Um, you know, it's so easy to just, well, just, just forget about you, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so I was looking for a jumper because uh, it's Black Friday and there isn't a single website that I just go to by default at the moment. Like no brand has created that impact on me yet. Yeah. But there are other products where I will go, I will go straight to that website and it's the first first website I will check to see if they have a product I want. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like you're trying to create that person where there's almost no searching happening. It's just direct traffic. It's just like they bang they pop in your your url and they go straight to is it like running shoes i i tend to go back to nike a lot um for a number of reasons not particularly because of the delight reason but i do go back to them specifically um yeah it's interesting i think it's like i almost can liken a new customer coming in and becoming a good customer as writing a blog post so anybody that like manages content if you write a piece of content, it ranks well and you get it to maybe one or two on Google and you think your job is done, you, I guess you're in for a bit of a nasty surprise in like six to 12 months. Like you've got to keep uh, sort of nurturing that, that piece of content and refresh it when it needs refreshing 
to make sure that it doesn't get superseded by anything else. And I, I think you know, I talked earlier about like delighted customers almost having this sort of, you don't want this like long tail effect to happen. You're almost trying to sort of bounce them up in the air, like every now and then, you know, when you see them trailing off a bit, you need to sort of push them, you know, give them a little, little bump um, to keep them sort of delighted and keep them happy and keep them being that super fan that you need them to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, a, that's a great example. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, early days, things are going to drop off quicker for someone, you know, even if you do delight them immediately, uh, I think their, I guess, like attitude towards the company is probably going to drop off quicker than someone who has been delighted for, you know, six months. And after six months, if you stop, if you just stopped doing the delight thing with them and just left them, they would still be pretty happy with the brand for quite a while. Um, and it will be their lack of interaction that will that will start to damage that. Um, but yeah, someone who's made their first purchase, if you then just didn't do anything, uh, there's there's a high chance that they'll drop off and, and not come back to you because they they just forget you. you know, yeah, I've, I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I think like so many websites are so similar. You know, p- particularly in fashion, um, like so many fashion websites are just the same. So if none of them do anything to stand out, just none of them are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of them are going to keep keep people for longer. It's like the loyalty isn't isn't there so much uh, unless the brands make the effort. Yeah, unless you just have a stunningly good product, which can help, I guess, a lot. But uh, it's almost like that's the top. You know, as good as the Bonjour product is, I think it's a pretty good product. It's not like we have the world's best sort of hyper growth, like product led growth product. So we need to do this stuff. And I think 99.9% of businesses fall into that category where their product isn't going to just give them growth on a plate. Um, so yeah. yeah, you need to do this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you personally, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing um, either as a marketer or as a consumer? A little bit. So growth, growth hacking is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, I struggle with it. It's it's because of its spillover from, you know, the whole growth hacking thing, I think, comes from companies that are very product-led, like sort of Facebook and Twitter and all this sort of stuff, where you've got marketers who have almost like an engineering background, probably quite skilled in sort of like handling large data sets, this sort of stuff. And then it became like this mainstream thing where everybody's sort of a growth hacker. And the problem with that is that, like, you sort of don't have the skill set and it makes you incredibly anxious as a marketer. Like, so, you know, I've tried to do some growth hacking stuff and it's really, it's difficult. Nine times out of 10, it fails. Um, when it's almost a distraction, like if you're just focusing on simpler stuff, then your simpler stuff can end up working a lot better. So, you know, I've had months in my marketing career where I've tried some real growth hack stuff thinking oh, I've got to get this thing working at massive scales and it all comes falling down. And then I've had months where all I've done is just make sure that I'm interacting with as many other people as I possibly can, whether that's customers, partners, um, you know, whoever it is. And that has a much bigger impact. It's, it's weird. There are times when I'll go through like two months of like ultra, ultra sort of confidence in my role and, and we see a lot of growth. And generally what's happening is like, me other people on the team are speaking with lots of people making lots of things happen but it's all happening on a very sort of relationship based level 
Um, so yeah, that, I guess like growth hacking being like a mainstream thing is a bit of a pet peeve when it's actually more of a, yeah, probably best suited to like engineer types. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think the, the thing that annoyed me about growth hacking was it kind of it very quickly moved away from what the original idea of growth hacking was. Um, and, and so you'd get people, you know, saying that they've found this amazing growth hack to, to grow their Twitter account by, you know, 10,000 uh, followers in a week. Yeah. And it's just, it doesn't contribute anything to the bottom line. There's, uh, no, there's no business growth there, but they found this like arguably a hack to just get loads of followers. Yeah. And, and but when you see so many of that sort of thing happening all, all over the place, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Medium, um, most most of them actually were around social media. You know, these these kind of yeah. the people claiming to be growth hackers, but they're not. It, it was always how how to get loads of engagement on on a post on LinkedIn or how to grow your followers and stuff. Um, yeah. It just never actually contributed to business growth. Um, yeah, a- actual kind of growth hacking. It requires a team. You, yes. know, you can't have one person do it. You need you need that kind of I guess creative marketer. You need a data analyst. You need a designer, a developer, and you've got this have this team whose whose job it is to find these uh, like well growth levers. Um, yeah. In, in your product, um, so yeah, I think, and and the, yeah, the the problem that also came out of that was the non-marketing people so you know business owners who are not marketers see all this stuff and then when they hire a marketer they want a growth hacker yeah and most marketers aren't growth hackers because it's it's difficult it's i'd say it's almost impossible for one person to be a growth hacker yeah it's it's like i've done uh, a couple of years ago i tried something specific that was a bit more growth hackery which so basically we had launched on uh, the intercom app store so we'd launched bonjuro onto intercom's app store and mm-hmm. we were a bit frustrated that sort of intercom didn't really have any ways of like marketing our app to their audience so i basically found a script of a website that could post <laughs> messages into intercom chats um, i created a list of every single SaaS company that i thought would be relevant by pulling them from SaaS groups on linkedin put that into this script and basically got the script to tell every every one of those companies on their intercom chat widget it would like open it up automatically like tell them about our uh, our launch it went terribly like this is basically me just like spamming everyone right just like through their own intercom chat widget um i got a lot of like messages coming back saying like what like why are you spamming us um, the other thing that happened, which I think goes to show you know, how badly these things go, is that Intercom's legal team got in touch and were like, "What is this script that you're using? Like, what? Like, we're not really happy with this." And it's like, uh, I then got in touch. So I got in touch specifically with I think it's Intercom's um, partner manager, and he was like, "Why don't you just come to me and we could have like a good chat about this and try and figure out some ways of doing it?" Um, and then like, you know, Intercom have partners themselves as well, and. It's just like, you know, I think a lot of this stuff, so, so basically it had no impact. It also pissed, off, pissed a lot of people off, probably almost sort of broke that partnership with Intercom. We could have been chucked off their sort of app store as well. Yeah. Like, so the, I think these are the things that happen, like when you put the sort of growth hacking cap on the wrong person, i.e. me, um, you know, it just doesn't work out. And I think I totally agree with you. Like I see a lot of business owners that sort of look at the growth hacking stuff as well. And it's like this, it's not a good way to go. 
that's just yeah sort of one of my own stories of growth hacking gone wrong yeah i mean like the, the ones that work are things like well it's like the, the intercom chat plugin every time it opens up it says like powered by intercom yeah and uh well it's so many SaaS tools will have on the free version you'll have the branding there so every single person who comes to your website and interacts with that tool will see the name of the tool and that works really well and all right, maybe that's not a growth hack anymore. Um, but I'm pretty sure it would have been considered a growth hack the first few times uh, companies kind of realized they could do that. Yeah, I, know, I, think, um, yeah. I know what one or two, I can't remember which company it was. I think it was to do with, um, oh, was it Discuss? Uh, I think it was Discuss. Um, they were They put follow links on the widget. So every single website that had their, their um, comment box also had a follow link back to discuss, which was amazing for their SEO until yeah. Google found out and went, ah, yeah, no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was discuss. It might not have been. It, it, it was that sort of, yeah, that sort of um, kind of widget tool. Um, so interesting idea where, while it works, but, but yeah, um, I, th- I think growth hacking is a bit, uh, you, you've got to have the, the team in place for it. Yeah. Um, so uh, just finally, do you, do you think there's any underrated aspects of marketing at the moment, except obviously delighting people? Yeah, I, I just sort of culture and brand, I think. Um, yeah, I think, uh, like you said earlier, like every website's the same at the moment. And, you know, it really does like light fire when you come across a website that just is stunning in its way of getting across the sort of culture and the brand of that business. Um, I really think it makes a difference. Um, I don't know whether it's underrated. I feel it is a bit underrated because I don't see enough good sort of culture and sort of brand happening. I think everybody's a little bit obsessed with the whole sort of product-led growth stuff, um, whereas actually we could be doing a bit more on the culture side. I'm trying to think of a, the business I saw. It was a, they're a marketing agency. Oh, I wish I could remember it now. Um, but their website was just so mind-blowingly good like the first thing that was different the the background wasn't white it was black and then all of their design work was yellow over the top of it but the copywriting was just so incredible um with the imagery that i just you know had to read every single word and it's sort of annoying now that i can't remember their name because i should be saying that's why i remember their name yeah in every conversation um i think it's that lemon lemon dot lemon dot io or something maybe um but yeah, I think if you can really refine your business brand and culture early on, I think you're going to stand yourself in pretty good stead. Um, a bit like the delight piece, it's like if you don't have the perfect product, you can still grow. I think if you have a great culture and a great brand, brand, uh, you can you know, still do a pretty good job of growth. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I, I agree with you. I think brand kind of brand is uh, and culture is really undervalued, and not not many companies put as much effort into it as they should do. You'll see some companies that have those kind of clear values. Like they'll be, they'll really focus on the environment or animals or something like that. Um, but it, but they still don't go all the way with it. Um, and then you get some, which are clearly not that interested at all, but think consumers really care. So they'll put the logo on or something. Um, but I think, yeah, when you, when you do buy and really engage with the business, it, it does make a big difference if they've got that branding piece. So did you, did you do anything with that agency 
Or did no, you just come across it? No, I just came across it. We didn't even need their service, but I started telling people about it just because I was so impressed with it. Yes, yeah, so, so that's why. Like Anybody listening, lemon.io, definitely go to that website. It's just incredible. When when GDPR came in, I think it was GDPR, um, again, like, I can't remember what the website is because I never, never bought from them or worked with them, whoever it was, but their privacy policy probably like legally met the requirements but it read as if they were saying nobody cares we don't care we yeah. use cookies like so does every website deal with it yeah that was pretty like it was such a blunt like we can't believe we're having to write this um in fact i think it was on the lines of like i, I can't believe we're having to actually put this in writing and explain it to uh to you like websites use cookies to to, to operate this website uses cookies. If you really want to know, here's like a bit of the detail. Um, and that was basically it. And, and that kind of like, I mean, loads of people shared it as well. Um, yeah, you know, I definitely shared it with a few people. Someone shared it with me, but I couldn't tell you what, who it was because I, I haven't interacted with them since. Yeah. Um, but if they, if that attitude and that kind of branding is, is throughout their business, that would make a massive difference if I was working with them. Yeah, I think it's. I think the thing is, it's almost. Um, it's. I think it's scary. I think people are scared of doing it. I know as a marketer, when I do this on emails. So if I'm doing an email blast, you know, we still do stuff that's one to many here at Bonjour. There are times when I'm feeling confident and not as fearful, and I'll write something that just works from a copywriting point of view because I'm trying to sprinkle in our culture and our brand into it and and um, connect with the customer. So like one, I think one I did last year was I opened essentially the whole first three quarters of the email was talking about Tabasco sauce um, and people like loads of people replied to saying, oh, I loved reading this and just, it really gave me a great vibe. And they were coming back with their own source recommendations and things. And so it's almost like in a cub, it, we're talking about sort of license to do delight earlier. I think there almost needs to be a bit of an agreement within companies, this license to embody your culture because otherwise you are anxious or fearful of doing it. And if you are like that, you end up going somewhere down the middle. Yeah. Um, and I think that has to come from like management, really. It has to come from the top to say, look, guys, this is our culture. You can embody it and don't be afraid to do something that you fits with it. Because if it goes wrong, we don't care. Because when it goes right, it's amazing, like you're saying with that GDPR thing. Well, I mean, it should be the case that if you're worried about it going wrong and and being a problem, you're probably doing you're probably not going down the right route. So, like just writing that copy, the worst thing that can that can happen really is that people just don't engage with it, and and they kind of open the email and that's it, and delete it or whatever. Yeah. What you don't want to do is is when you if you piss off people, but that that shouldn't really be happening with this sort of thing. Um, and I think one of the problems and it, it came came up on a podcast episode uh with friday um like about brand values and things like so many companies when you ask for their if you get their brand uh document it's literally like fonts colors this is how you use the logo um and then maybe a few buzzwords around what their values are but there's yeah. nothing to tell you how to like to tell people how to write emails and how to do adverts and things and, and that, that branding just never really gets around the business. And then people yeah. don't really know what to do. So they just do generic stuff. Yeah. It can be small things as well. I know there's a company called Zest. Uh, 
uh, what is it zest.io again no zest.is um who are like a sort of uh it's like a sort of content community where like marketers sort of share content into that community and you can go and sort of select the tags that you're interested in like video or growth or those sorts of things and you can uh, get all the content that you need in front of you and um they always sign off and you can tell it's happening across the business they because they're called zest they have like a sort of lemon colored sort of brand of when they ever send an email you get like a little sign off at the end is never just our best regards or kind regards it's always like have a zesty day or something like that and just small details like that i think really can add up um, and it's worth paying attention to those little pieces yeah absolutely i mean it takes no effort to do that either yeah um yeah it's something that you you probably come up with quite near the start when you have that brand idea and it should be pretty simple just to keep it going yeah Cool. Well, I mean, this has been absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, I love, yeah, the, I mean, I, I do, I work in customer experience. So um, whether it's on-site optimizations or, or email marketing or customer service stuff, this is this is all, all stuff that I love de- dealing with. Um, if people want to f- get in touch or find out more, what should they do? Um, yeah, if they want to find out more about, so, well, so me personally, um, Twitter's the best place. So Ollie, so O-L-I underscore bridge, uh, as in the thing that sort of goes over railway tracks, so O-L-I underscore bridge. Um, and then on the video side of things, if you want to try delighting your customers with personalized videos, I wrote like earlier this year a playbook, like all sorts of different ways you can use it and where you can use it in your customer journey. Um, if you just Google video funnel playbook, um, you'll find that. So it's bonjour.com as well, forward stroke video funnel playbook, lots of different sort of ways of, of doing it. But definitely, yeah, personal sort of wise definitely connect with me on twitter um that's where i do sort of most of my sort of marketing thinking and and those sorts of things perfect thank you so much ollie cool thanks well there's no doubt that a well thought through customer delight strategy can provide amazing value for your business you'll build engagement and loyalty with your existing customers leading to better lifetime values but crucially you'll also build word of mouth for your business one of the key things to remember is that this is supposed to be about surprising your customers though if these little extra gifts notes or, or whatever you use are applied too much too too frequently and, and just to everyone they just become a standard part of that service and they become expected you know once everyone knows about them they just expect it and when they receive it there's it loses that delight factor by all means send out a handwritten note to everyone who makes the first purchase you can also automate this so you don't actually have to have someone writing out each note but after this stage you really need to cherry pick the opportunities or, or have guidelines and a process in place to make sure these delights are really personalized and or contextual. You know, they've, they've really got to make sense to the person who receives them because of a conversation they've had on social media with, with your brand or, or with some friends, uh, a conversation they've had on uh, with your customer service team, or, you know, you can just randomly pick people. If you'd like to learn more about how you can delight your customers, reach out to Ollie on LinkedIn or check out bonjuro.com. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, etc., just send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com as normal. Next up, I've got Jeff Coyle on, and we're going to be talking about how AI will be able to help you nail your content strategy in 2021. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>